Hallelujah. What a Savior. Good morning. Glad you're here. Please pray with me. Oh, gracious Father, we thank you for the blessed occasion of the gathering of your people. Oh, Father, we bow before you in humble adoration. We thank you for sending your Son to save us from our sins. And we cry out before you and say, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Oh, Father, we're your people. Please lead us. We are your sheep. Please feed us. Oh, Father, I pray that this day I might speak words of truth. And Father, if I speak error, I pray that you would smite it to the ground. But Father, if I speak truth, I pray that none of my words might fall to the ground. I pray that it might be that blessed event from heaven in which the stammering words of a man become the words of God to your people's hearts and minds. Oh, Father, bless us, protect us, keep us from evil. Draw us to yourself. Help us to love you. Help us to obey you. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. The first epistle of St. John, the beloved, chapter 2. And look down to verse 15. The beloved apostle writes, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now please hear this same text from the New International Version. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Well, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. Several years ago, I heard Eric Seil describe the beloved apostle as black and white John. And he described him that way because of how definitively John states things, especially in his epistles. There's no gray with John the beloved. It's either black or it's white. And that's what we see in the apostolic pronouncement here. You can either love the world 
or you can love the Almighty, but you can't love the world and God. Black and white, John. If they love the world, black and white, John says, the love of God is not in you. It's an either or. It's not a both and. Either or. You can't do both. Well, saints, we could go home right now. You've got the sermon. Either love God or love the world. Says John, you can't do both. Now surely, listen, surely this is a solemn warning. And it's potentially confusing. Because in other places in Holy Scriptures, humans are seemingly commanded to love the world. Consider, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. Proverbs 27, 23. Those words from the wise man seem to command a diligent attention to the things of the world. And a promise of blessing is usually attached to such commandments, isn't it? When Paul exhorts the Romans not to be slothful in business, the idea there is this, when you're working, work hard. Work hard, get it done. And when you're working, produce more than you need. Produce more than you need. So that you'll have extra to give to help someone else who is in need. Right? Listen. Are we not to enjoy the magnificence of the Grand Canyon? The beauty of a field of blue bonnets? The majesty of a thick forest? Even the bleakness of a vast desert? Are we not to enjoy that? I love it. It's beautiful. Surely we know we're to admire the heavens, aren't we? For they declare the glory of God. But what about earth? Well, listen, take comfort, Christian. Take comfort. John's commandment here, love not the world, speaks not of this beautiful planet which we call home. Our affection for earth is valid and good. We were put here with a mandate to exercise righteous dominion over a created order that was divinely declared to be very good. Listen, listen. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. So what does John mean? What does he mean when he says, love not the world? Well, I know that you're aware that there are different Greek words that are translated love in our English Bibles. And the Greek word translated love here is agapeo. A form of agape. And you know that that's the love with which God loved us when He sent His only begotten Son to save us from the power and penalty of our sins and to give us everlasting life. Love. 
This agape is the same love, listen, that we have for God that confirms that all His workings toward us are for good. You remember? You remember? All things work together for good to them that love God. Man, this doesn't look good. It's good. I don't understand it. The Bible tells me it's good for me. How do you know that? Because God loves me. So listen, listen. John is not teaching here some unnatural detachment from earth. God made us to be here. Listen, God made us to be here. The air here is for us to breathe. The water here is for us to drink. The fruit here is for us to eat. It's good for us to be here. Listen, even to love being here. The Greek word that John uses for the world that he does not want us to love is cosmos. Like cosmos. (laughs) This is difficult because this term, which is usually translated world, in English has such a broad spectrum of meaning that the precise meaning must often be determined by the context in which the word is used. I mean, just think about how we use the word world in English. Whole world! What are you talking about? Dirt? Earth? Or people? Or political subdivisions? What do you mean when you say world, right? Are you a world traveler? What does that mean? Well, same thing. Same thing in in Greek. So often the context in which this word is used is very important for us to determine precisely what the meaning is. So I would say that obviously the beloved Apostle John is not teaching here that we are to hate planet Earth. That would seem to contradict the Genesis Dominion mandates for us to steward, preserve, cultivate, and replenish the earth. Wouldn't it? It surely seems like it. So the world that John is telling us that we must not love here is something else. I believe that the love that John is teaching us that we must not love here is what some theologians refer to as the present world order. Slowly, listen, the unaligned powers not submitted to Almighty God, the dominions that are not part of God's kingdom. I remind you quickly of what a kingdom is. A kingdom is a king's dominion. Anywhere that is under the dominion of the king is the kingdom. So what is God's kingdom? It's what is submitted to Him. What are we not to love? I believe that it is the unaligned powers not submitted to God. The dominions that are not part of His kingdom. We are to have no allegiance to them. No love. Now I believe that this becomes obvious because John explains what he means by world. 
And he does this when he describes what the world that we must not love contains. Look there, what is it? Well, it's the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the flesh. It's covetousness, the lust of the eyes. And it's the boasting of what he has and does, the pride of life. In John's prohibition, this is the world that we must not love. And look there, the beloved apostle supports his prohibition with reasoning. He teaches we shouldn't love the world. We shouldn't be overcome by our fleshly desires, the things we see that we want, our human pride. We shouldn't indulge in any of these things. Why? Because they're transitory. They're temporary. They're passing away and they will end. So he offers reasoning for his prohibition here. And his reasoning continues, but, but if instead of focusing on those things, your focus is upon God, on doing his will, you will abide forever. Now, brothers and sisters, listen, I I believe this to be an affirmation of John 3.16. Where this same beloved apostle recorded the words of our Savior when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, listen, you see, the ones who believe love. And the ones who love Obey. And the ones who obey abide. And the ones who abide live forever. There's a lot going on right now, isn't there? There's a lot going on in this world, in in our lives. There's a lot to distract us from primary things to things secondary, even to things tertiary. There's a lot going on right now. So, saints, listen. It's a good time to ask ourselves, what am I loving? What am I loving? And like black and white John, let's, let's just delineate it sharply. Am I loving God? Or am I loving the world? The kingdom of God? Or the domain of fallen man? Listen, in what are we trusting? The gracious provision of God? Or the security and safety nets of men? I got benefits at my job and life insurance. Friend, you better not put your trust in that. Put no confidence in princes nor for help on man depend. He shall die to dust returning and his purposes shall end. 
Listen, we may value the world. We might even possess a little bit of it. Some of you have bought a house. We can enjoy this world. That's not what the beloved apostle is forbidding. He's speaking of what we love. He's speaking of what is supreme in our affection. And friend, listen. God will not accept second place. That won't work for him. I believe that beloved John, listen, I believe that beloved John is teaching there is no Christianity apart from devout Christianity. Do you understand? I've heard people say, oh, she's a devout Christian. Is there any other kind? Oh, friend, listen, Christ is jealous of his bride. He will not share her with another. He admits no rivals. Black and white. When a man loves this world, listen, when a man loves this world, he gives it first place in his heart. And everything is subordinated to that. It's been said, I'm sure you've heard it, you show me how a man lives and I'll show you what he loves. We've all heard stories of men who were incredibly successful in business to the detriment of their families. And listen, those are men, those are men whom our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would describe as fools. They would gain the whole world at the expense of their souls. You remember? The Savior asked this rhetorical question, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mark 8.36 Rhetorical question. He doesn't even answer it. What does that mean? Well, if you don't answer a rhetorical question, it's supposed to mean even a dummy can see the answer. I don't have to answer it. But let's answer it anyway. Beloved, the answer to that rhetorical question is nothing. There is no profit. There's loss. Everlasting loss. Thanks, listen. Beloved John's prohibition here to us is an exhortation to prioritized love. It's an exhortation to prioritize love. It's an exhortation, an apostolic exhortation to focus on your soul and do not lose it to this world. I know that you've all heard the terminology, quote, professing Christian. Have you heard that? Well, he's a professing Christian. He's a professing Christian. And I submit to you that that terminology has both a positive and a negative impact or aspect. I mean, consider, 
a professing Christian is a confessing Christian, right? It's someone who says, I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. I'm a disciple. I align myself with the Son of the living God, and I'm trying to follow Him. That's a professing, confessing Christian. That's good, isn't it? You should say, yes, that's good. (laughs) We should say these things, even confessing our allegiance to Jesus before men. You remember the Savior said, I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Luke 12, verses 8 and 9. So I say, it's a good thing to be a professing, confessing Christian. There's a positive. But listen, there's also a negative aspect to that terminology, professing Christian. And the negative is, not all professions are true. Not all professions are real. Some professions are lies. Some professions are false. Not all true. Some are lies. Not all real. Some are fake. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but... He that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Matthew 7, verse 21. And friend, listen, can you see that beloved John is teaching exactly the same thing in the text we just read? The ones that love God are doing the will of God. And they will abide forever. They are true kingdom residents. They are the ones that are the citizens of heaven, of the kingdom of God. You've probably also heard this terminology, nominal Christian. Have you heard that? Quote, nominal Christian. Nominal here comes to us in English from the Latin nominalis, which means pertaining to names. So the term nominal Christian refers to a person who claims to be a Christian, claims to be a follower of Jesus of Nazareth, but they're really not one. They're a Christian, quote, in name only. You really a Christian? I said I was. Oh, Don't look like no Christian I've ever seen. They're not real. They're fake. It's not a real diamond. It's a CZ. Their true love, listen, their true love is not God. Their true love is the world. Their own desires, their own lusts, their own pride. 
While the true Christian, the real Christian, the devout Christian's true love is Jesus and what He wants in His exaltation. So, beloved, listen. Let us profess. Let us confess. But, oh, saints, listen. Let us obey. Let us obey. Lest our profession be vain. There's a, there's a skeletal narrative in the New Testament about a nominal Christian that's quite remarkable, actually quite troubling, actually chilling. And I want to remind you about it. Excuse me. Saul of Tarsus, our beloved Apostle Paul, had many blessed assistants. He did. Many supporters, many helpers during his career as the most prolific apostolic writer of the New Covenant Scriptures. He had a lot of help. Remember some of these names, and you'll you'll know them. Remember Silas and Barnabas and Epaphroditus? Remember? Helpers of Paul, supporters of Paul. John Mark, Luke, Aristarchus, Epaphras, Onesimus. I know your Bible readers. You know these names. Sosthenes, Trophimus, Tychicus, Timothy, Titus, Damaris, Priscilla, Aquila, Philemon, Gaius, Lydia, Junia. Remember? Remember those? But do you remember Demas? Demas? D-E-M-A-S? At the end of Paul's letter to Philemon, several of Paul's helpers send greetings to Philemon. And I I can almost see this in my mind's eye. Paul's wrapping up the letter. Someone's drafted it for him to sign, or maybe he's written it himself. And he's reading it aloud to his helpers, about to seal it and send it to Philemon. And they're saying, put my name on it. Put my name on it. Greet Philemon for me too. And so he writes, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Philemon chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but verses 23 and 24. Put me on there. I love him too. Demas. We know from the ending of Acts... Chapter 28, verse 30, that Paul was under house arrest for two years at Rome. And people were allowed to come and go and visit him in that house, uh, a hired house. He didn't own it. He had to rent it. 
So it seems that when Paul was imprisoned under house arrest there in Rome, that Demas was there with him. And we know this because when Paul wrote to the Colossians from his imprisonment in Rome, at the end of his letter, he writes, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Colossians 4.14, right at the end. Luke said, tell him I'll send my greetings to Demas. Me too. Me too, Paul. I'm here with you. Greet them for me. It also seems that Demas was probably with Paul during his second imprisonment in Rome, at least for some time, that something happened. Then something happened. And listen, it's not clear from Holy Scripture exactly what happened, but something happened. Something happened and Demas abandoned Paul, renounced the Christian ministry, and left town. After all of that. And that was grievous to Paul. And when he wrote to his son in the faith, to Timothy, about the sad situation, he said to Timothy, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. 2 Timothy 4.10 The Net Bible translates it this way, Demas deserted me since he loved the present age and he went to Thessalonica. Now the verb, the Greek verb translated deserted here is in katalipo. In katalipo. And it implies that Demas not only abandoned Paul, but that he left Paul in dire straits. He left Paul when Paul really, really needed him. Let me ask you something, Christian. Have you ever had a friend desert you? Abandon you? Walk away from you when you needed them? Listen to these lexical definitions for Ingok Alipo. To abandon. Desert. To leave in straits. To leave helpless, to utterly forsake, to leave behind. Uh, Think about it. Paul's in prison, facing a death sentence. Facing a death sentence. Probably distressed and depressed. Paul? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. That's when Demas decided to go. When he needed him the most. But listen, listen, what is particularly disturbing is the inspired apostolic observation that the abandonment, the separation, it's not only spatial, it's spiritual. It's not only a spatial abandonment and separation, it's a spiritual abandonment. And separation. 
Paul writes, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Why'd you go, Demas? I love the world. Demas loved what the world had to offer. And he compared the ministry of Paul and the gospel of Jesus to what the world had to offer. This present evil world, to use a Pauline phrase, he compared those and he said, I'm going to go this way. That's what I'm going to do. Why? Because I love it. Now, friend, listen. Contrast that with meek and faithful Moses, the mediator of the old covenant, the friend of God. Of him, the scriptures say, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he had respect to the recompense of the reward. By faith, he, that is Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Hebrews 11 verses 24 through 27. I ask you, did beloved John... Did the beloved John have Moses, faithful Moses in mind when he wrote, He that doeth the will of God abideth forever? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But listen, in investment advice parlance, it seems like Moses took a long-term outlook. Doesn't it? Moses played the long game. You see, sin can be pleasurable. Just admit it. But the pleasure is fleeting. It's transient. Listen, it's temporary. It's just for a little season. Moses, by faith, seeing with more than the eyes of flesh, chose the long-term investment. He valued peace with God more than all the riches of Egypt. Well, friend, listen, nowhere, nowhere in Holy Scripture do we read of any restoration of Demas. He walked away from the apostolic ministry. He walked away from the glorious gospel of Jesus. And as far as we can tell, he walked into hell. As far as we can tell. In a footnote in Anthony Hansen's commentary on the pastoral letters, he records this in a footnote. Listen. 
a copyist in a manuscript preserved in the Medici Library in Florence, adds in the margin the information that Demas became a priest of a pagan temple at Thessalonica. On what authority the copyist says this, we do not know. So that's in the margin of an ancient manuscript preserved in a library in Italy. Who knows? We have no way to know whether that's true or not. But friend, listen, I've known a few folks that have walked away from the faith. I could tell you about it. It doesn't turn out well, friend. Not eternally and not in this life. I've seen people make what the Apostle Paul calls shipwreck of their lives. So saints, listen, see, see this, see this, please. If you have eyes to see, see. Past service is no guarantee of future faithfulness. Do you hear me? Past service is no guarantee of future faithfulness. Demas was one whom Paul commended, calling him a fellow laborer for the gospel of Jesus. He had served with Paul. He had helped Paul. And then he abandoned, deserted, and forsook Paul. Our Savior, in His parable of the sower, explains the seed that falls on thorny ground. And He he says, this is the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns. This is the man who hears the Word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it and make it unfruitful. Matthew 13, 22. Friend, listen. Past service is no guarantee of future faithfulness. Of Judas Iscariot, our Savior said, Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Mark 14, 21. And what about Demas? I don't know. I don't know. But beloved, listen, listen. Don't be a Judas. And friend, saints, hear hear the word. Don't be a Demas. Let us sing. Let us pray and say, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Do you feel it? There was a time when Jesus gave a hard saying. A hard to understand statement that he made about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And it sounded just as crazy to his disciples then as it sounds to us now. What? And some left. Actually, many left. 
The Bible says from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. John 6, 6, 6, 6, verse 66. And the Bible says that when this group quit following him, that Jesus said to the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. John 6, verses 67 through 69. And beloved, listen, listen. That's where we are. In Jesus is light. In Jesus is life. Apart from Jesus, only darkness and death. Saints, listen. Don't love the world. Don't love the world. Everything in the world the cravings of the flesh, the covetousness of the eyes, the pride and boasting of what we have and do, it's not from the Father. It's from the fallen world order. And this present evil world, listen, and its desires will pass away. But the one who does the will of God, that one, that one shall live forever. Let us adore the eternal word. Tis he our souls hath fed. Thou art our living stream, O Lord, and thou the immortal bread. The manna came from lower skies, but Jesus from above where the fresh springs of pleasure rise and rivers flow with love. The Jews, the fathers, died at last who ate that heavenly bread. But these provisions that we taste can raise us from the dead. Blessed be the Lord that gives His flesh to nourish dying men and often spreads His table fresh lest we should faint again. Our souls shall draw their heavenly breath while Jesus finds supplies. Nor shall our graces sink to death, for Jesus never dies. Daily our mortal flesh decays, but Christ, our life, shall come. His unresisted power shall raise our bodies from our tombs. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. O Spirit of God, help our infirmities. When we are pressed down with a load of sorrow, perplexed and not knowing what to do, slandered and persecuted, made to feel the weight of the cross, help us, we pray. If you see in us any wrong thing encouraged, any evil desire cherished, any delight that is not thy delight, any habit that grieves thee, 
any nest of sin in our hearts, grant us thy kiss of forgiveness. Teach us to walk in the way of thy commandments. Deliver us from anxious care. Make us happy, holy people. Help us to walk the separated life with firm and brave step and to wrestle successfully against our weaknesses. Oh, teach us to laud, adore, and honor Thee with the music of heaven and make us a perfume of praiseful gratitude to Thee. Oh, Father, we crouch not at Thy feet as a slave before a tyrant, but we exult before Thee as sons before a father. Give us power to live as Thy children in our actions and to exercise sonship by conquering self. Preserve us from the intoxication that comes of prosperity. Sober us when glad with a joy that comes not from Thee. Lead us safely to Thy eternal kingdom. We ask not whether the road be rough or smooth. Help us, O Lord. We request only to see the face of Him that we love to be content with bread to eat, with raiment to put on, if we can be brought safe to Thy house in peace. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.